Hello, and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast from Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment program in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer, and I'm joined by the Opal founders, Dr. Lexi Giblin, Kara Bazzi, Julie Church. And today we're exploring the question, what is health? In the eating disorder and nutrition worlds, this question of health is always being posed. What is the healthiest way to eat? What is the healthiest diet? What would the healthiest exercise regimen be? These questions seem to be asking for a one-size-fits-all prescription, some sort of normative way of eating and being in the world that's going to set every person up for the same sort of success in their eating habits and lifestyle. Today, we challenge this prescriptive way of looking at health and explore body wisdom, pleasure, and how the rebalancing of our attention on not only body, but on mind and spirit can also be a determinant of health. Also, we're just demoralizing the issue of health in general here, refocusing the conversations on an appetite for life. So today we're talking about um, health kind of in general, Mm -hmm. answering the question, what is health? And we thought it would be really helpful to maybe start off by exploring some normative views or normative assumptions about what what health is and and what constitutes kind of a healthy person. Mm -hmm. Can any of you jump in with some ideas about that? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, (laughs) I just thought I would share a funny little story that um, I was telling Julie and Lexi when we were walking over to the studio from yesterday. So I go to my coffee shop that I go to every day, waiting in line for my latte. And the woman ahead of me in line asks the barista, she looks at the pastry um, shelf and says, well, what is the healthiest thing in this pastry shelf that I can get? Mm-hmm. And was very serious, <laughs> really wanted a serious answer from the barista. And I, I was sitting there just sort of amused, um, waiting to see what the barista, how she was going to respond to this question. Well, what is the healthiest? Mm-hmm. And I could, I could kind of get, I know I have a relationship with this barista, so I was sort of imagining what she might be thinking. And of <laughs> course, she is, you know, customer service is important. And so she very... <laughs> seriously answered well you know maybe the morning glory muffin because there's raisins and there's nuts and there's you know different things like that in the morning glory muffin um you know this pastry shelf has the muffins it has the scones it has the donuts and then she goes or maybe the spinach and cheese i don't even know if that was a scone Maybe that. And so there was this really, you know, mm-hmm. serious conversation going on about what was going to be mm-hmm. the healthiest pastry to pick. So I just couldn't help. I mean, I had a lot of other questions going on in my brain um, about what uh, about what is health, mm-hmm. what's the healthiest option in that pastry um, mm-hmm. shelf. But I think I think that would be kind of a fun starting point. To... And I love that this this uh, person thought that the barista was the expert. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I love that we have Julie Church right oh, here I know. as the as dietitian. Our, yeah, our, I know. Who is an actual expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Julie, no what pressure. is the healthiest pastry? Oh, tell us. <laughs> <all>. Secret. <laughs> Secret. You know, it's different for everybody. Um, that's a good summary there. But I, I think about her. I think I'm like, okay, well, in that moment, what is she? What is she? Um, accessing in her history yeah Mm -hmm. what is she accessing in her history in her learning about health um that then she's interpreting so i take that that the morning glory muffin thing and she's like oh yeah nuts and 
Rate fruit, fruit and nuts. That, those are good. Those are good, those are good right? Things. Spinach, yep. green leafy greens aren't aren't those things that yep. promote health. So I think I'm gonna help this customer by saying that these pastries have these other components, right? I don't know. Totally. Like I was, I was trying to kind of figure yeah. that out, and then how each of us might have a different response. Like you're saying, like I wonder what other questions. Like I would want to be like, oh well. Which one do you, which one looks good to you or what would sound good to you? Have you eaten any of these before? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, yeah. Which speaks to the fact that when, when there are more questions to ask, we're talking here a little bit more about body wisdom, mm-hmm. which I think is an assumption that we need to kind of put yeah. out there too, yeah, sure, right? Sure, sure. That like, that there might be, there's a lot of research saying, oh, you should eat this or mm-hmm. you should do that or you shouldn't eat that, whatever. And actually... One of the assumptions that we would make is that health would happen over a longer period of time, maybe, or you could get mm. your nutrients over all of your meals in an entire month rather mm-hmm. than in one pastry, right? right? That like, yes. So there are other questions to ask that you could kind of get some answers to if you're mm-hmm. thinking about other things mm-hmm. rather than just the perfect answer in that mm-hmm. moment to the pastry case. Yes. Or how right. do you define health? Right. Right. I think that that's so different for each person. I was I as a dietitian do get the Instant. I, I usually instantly can in a social situation get other people's perspectives on what is healthy from how they might interact with the fact that I'm a dietitian. What so, do they normally say? Well, especially if there's food around. But yeah. even if there's not food around. But I just feel like they'll instantly be like, oh, don't look at my plate. Mm. Oh, or, oh, like, what should I have? What should I get at this buffet? Or, what are you eating? What are you yeah, eating? Exactly. Sure. Like, Role model. Yeah. 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 Um, and... That's that is always puts me in this position of going. Well, wait, I, I want to know more about you. Like that mm-hmm. inverse versus I have some expert stance, like some answer that says this and this and this. So therefore, that is universal for all human beings in every scenario. That you should always pick that one pastry. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, at a particular time in the day. So that, yeah, yeah. So again, back to this body wisdom thing. Yeah. Like you're making, you're saying that mm-hmm. health actually depends. On your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and going you to the, the pastry example, I think a lot of times people are asking what has the most maybe nutrient content. But to mm-hmm. me, that doesn't equate to what's the healthiest decision mm-hmm. because health for me goes way beyond nutrient content. Right. Where else does it lead? Yeah. Psychology. I mean, psychology for me is a huge one. I think also probably I'm biased from having had a past with an eating disorder, but I'm going to go way go way more mm-hmm. on the pleasure side mm-hmm. of making decisions and and less about nutrient is, mm-hmm. is the definition of what's healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's one aspect of being connected to one's body, right, is like knowing what tastes good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay also that some people are also looking at it going, oh, like this, this settles well in my body or like right. digestively is something that's going to last and have more sustenance that's going to get me through to my lunch or my snack or something like that. So like those kinds of personal experiences with a particular food or food item or meal time or whatever, that then they can decide, oh, this is the thing that's going to mm. be, quote unquote, healthy for me. Like, mm-hmm. this is the thing that's going to provide me for with what I have or what or what I want or need mm. in this moment. And it, it actually makes me go, OK, well, I, I have done the practice of, of having my clients come back to me in earlier sessions and then say in our work together and say, OK, well, what come back to me with a decision uh, for your with your own definition of what is healthy. And that could mean practices, like what are their lifestyle habits or like what would they think constitutes a healthy life? 
And then also just, yeah, what is healthy? So then they're probably going to come with also a list of things to eat, things to do. Um, and that that's always helpful for me because yeah, what is healthy, it, it's a very commonly used word. And I mm-hmm. think most of the time there's sort of this normative mm-hmm. uh, belief that we're all in agreement. And that's the thing that's always hard for me as a dietitian because it's like, we're all in agreement <laughs> on what is healthy. And I'm like, oh, wait, don't don't throw me in that camp because mm-hmm. I, I want I want you to see this possibly as more nuanced um, than the fact that Maybe there's this New York Times article that one day or something that everyone then is jumping on board with avocados or something. And so, of course, like... <laughs> we all believe avocados are the... Yeah, yeah the thing. Um, and I, yeah, I, I guess I could expand on sort of more of the mind-body connection, but I really do think that health has to be mind, body, and spirit. Mm. And so for Kara, she's talking about pleasure, and in those moments, she's going to make a decision for herself that then is going to benefit both her body and her psychology, mm-hmm. you know, mental health and physical health. Which is, I remember when um, having kids, it was, that was a little trickier for me because my decisions were much more pleasure-based. And then I remember having a conversation with Julie when my Mm -hmm. kids were starting to eat solid foods and just like, oh, now, interesting. I'm having to rethink some of that of nutrient content and what my kids need. Mm. And I I went through, I remember going through a little struggle with that because Mm. of the way I just leaned into so much trust. But then I was thinking parenting can I do that with parenting? And it took me some exploration to figure that out because mm. for some reason that was a harder jump for me when when I was thinking about it for my kids and feeding my kids. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense because, you know, if you've kind of broken apart your own assumptions or your own way of thinking about health or how to eat or what to eat, and then suddenly you have to start making decisions on behalf of someone else exactly. who has had no experience yet defining these things or trying everything or can't actually be trusted yet to be tuned into their own bodies, then it it kind of brings you back to this question of what would be the right balance. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. sounds like there is some some answer to that, mm-hmm. a starting point at least. Mm-hmm. I, well, would you say that? Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the basic... Um, I would say basic belief that is out there and pretty universally believed that in terms of infant feeding, mm-hmm. that you're there's some foods that are you start with that are least allergen and like slowly introduced. Yeah. And then as you do that, you need to just make sure there's a lot of variety and you bring in. I think one of the things I, I like as actually a principle that I think takes you into adulthood, too, is that um, you bring in unfamiliar foods with familiar foods. And Ooh, I, 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 like, I like that, too. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just even when we get introduced to unfamiliar things, maybe not just only food, but unfamiliar foods, that then we also can serve them with things that are familiar. And we're going to have more susceptibility to mm. perhaps taking some risks with it if we have the we can we know we're going to get nourished and satisfied by the foods that are familiar. But anyways, but I think that, yeah, there's and each culture and family and community is are going to have different foods that are the normal normative beginning foods mm-hmm. for early and inch and um, early introduction of, of solid foods for kids, too. And I, I love that, too. We can look at it as dietitians and look at the macronutrients and micronutrients and go, oh, yeah, they're going for main like yeah. carbohydrates. They're getting that one is one of the initial foods. And then yeah. all these micronutrients that are getting in there, too, with the vegetables. But how they do it is it's always so fascinating to see that it's done so differently around the world uh, and within our own communities with 
just diversity. Mm-hmm. So. That reminds me of what we talked about in our last episode with um, athletes mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. And, and you gave an example, care of someone going to a competition in a different country mm-hmm. and suddenly right. realizing like, oh, this is what someone eats before a race? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right. Different norms, yeah. different right. needs based off of maybe what's normal for them or mm-hmm. what they're used to yeah. or... Right. Yeah. Oh. They can, yeah, mm-hmm. they can work with an, a particular set of assumptions about maybe what is healthy or what their body needs. But then sometimes if they take a risk and try something different, they might learn something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's where I also think of, it's hard not to think of psychological flexibility and the connection to RODBT with health too. Yeah. Of, I mean, I think a lot of t- people start down the path of what is healthy and they might have really good intentions to listen to their bodies or to um, pay more attention to self-care. And then if they happen to have more of an OC temperament, they can just start to quickly get more and more deeply in where then they're more rule-bound yeah. and getting more rigid. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to become a problem. I mean, that's often right. how an eating disorder can start <clears throat> is people's attempts to quote-unquote be healthy. Yeah. And that's what I found with when clients will come back with the list of what is healthy, then most of the time they they aren't complying to that 100%. So then they come also with that, oh, I don't know if I want to show you this or that these are all the things. Well, do you want to know what I think is healthy or what I'm doing right now? Or like it's this kind of conflict and that's sometimes hard to kind of, yeah, come face to face with, I guess, right? Of like, well, maybe our, our belief is this, but then what about that? And I'm always trying to help them determine what it is for them, right? Mm-hmm. And like what actually works for them, what's practical, what's economical, what's, uh, yeah, matches their flavor, interest and their lifestyle and their cultural ethnic background, like all those things to go, okay, that actually is quote unquote healthy. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I have a hard time using the word healthy just normally in a second, so you can tell that. <laughs> like, quote unquote healthy. Yes. Right. <laughs> do you ask the question, because I know one of the questions on that psychological side would be what happens if you don't do mm-hmm. X? The healthy mm-hmm. behavior. What happens if you miss it one time? Mm-hmm. There's a lot, mm-hmm. I feel like, of information in that. Do you ask that? Is that one of the, a regular question with Yeah, I mean, I think I, I come face-to-face with that often in the way that they're then presenting what they are doing or what they're not doing and the conflict they're having. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, it, depending on where each person is, but I think that I'm always trying to just start with the basics of, like, are you nourishing yourself? And are are you getting adequate nutrition? Because that is where I tend to think like can you make even good sound decisions for yourself if you're not nourished enough and yeah right. and I think the other thought like I could go that track but Let I also go pause ahead. you for yes, a second though it, because I feel like there are a couple of things that maybe not everyone would understand about that okay right that like you there's a point of at which you aren't maybe nourished enough for mm-hmm. your brain to be functioning fully mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. to be in touch with your actual needs or mm-hmm. to be emotionally regulating I mean mm-hmm. Your body's being impacted by not being nourished, but so is yeah. your brain. Yeah. So is your emotional life as well. Right. Can you say more about that? I mean, I think the right. main thing I would say is that, yes, our brain, I feel like I just said that in another podcast. Oh, it was a part of the athlete one, I think. But um, <laughs> just that the brain needs uh, so many n- nutrients. And carbohydrates are one of the main sources of energy for our brain. And then fats. So there are essential fats that we have to eat or else our brain doesn't have all the needed fats. So we have to take in a wide variety of types of foods to be able to have our brain be functioning well enough. But even in, like, if you then say, okay, one of the things our brain helps with is making decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think emotional regulation is the other thing that I think about so often. But even in just making decisions, and I 
think with so many people come wanting their food relationship to look differently uh, and they are going to blame themselves or their inability or their lack of willpower um, to not live into what their health values are. And I just often will kind of take the step back to go, okay, you might believe that, but if you aren't, if your brain isn't nourished well enough, you're going to do some impulsive things or compulsive things and things that are outside of the realm of that just to get the calories in that you need. Mm. And where then does that, does the, I would say that that's the diet, one of the main consequences of dieting, right? right. Is not having that cycle. clear mind. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then the cycle of that just then leading to have people believe that that's the kind of eater they are. Oh. Um, I don't, the, yeah, to believe that they're that kind of eater, that they're so out of control, they don't know what to do with themselves. And that's what's always so discouraging to me. And I, I love using the Ansel Keys study that talks about the, the starvation. There was an actual study of people in Minnesota yes. um, that actually semi-starved these men. And a lot of the consequences of that semi-starvation yes. was things that we see exhibited in, in disordered eating yeah. and eating disorders. And that's the study that inspired our name, the appetite. Oh yeah, I don't know if you remember that, but I don't know. but I, I'm. That's a good great. thing. To Where was I in that conversation? <laughs> it was an email, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> but one of the things that you know inspired the name the appetite is this mm -hmm. idea that if you are actually nourished enough to be thinking about what do I genuinely want, what does my body desire, what does my mind desire, my spirit, etc. Like if you're if you're able to tap in and all those systems are go right, you're answering a question. Appetite is a question to be answered. I think that that study says rather than this desperation of black and white thinking of I need to do this or I should do this or I need this now mm -hmm. or I can't have that at all or snapping because you're hangry, right? Mm -hmm. But really being well nourished means that you can answer those questions questions with nuance yeah, about and what you want. Yeah, I, yeah. The question I'd have for you then, Julie, for listeners, maybe if. If somebody isn't intentionally dieting, yeah. how would they know if they're not eating adequately? If it's not so obvious that they're having the symptoms like the men in the um, sure. Ansel Keys yeah, more extreme symptoms. study. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would imagine there's a lot of unintentional inadequate eating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tons. Yeah. What were you going to say? Lexi? Well, I, I was just thinking about my own... Like okay. my own first 25 years of eating. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> and, oh, I think my diet was limited to probably six or seven foods. Mm -hmm. And hamburgers, french fries, pizza, mac and cheese. Grilled and cheese. then grilled cheese. Like I had a very, yeah. I was very yeah. rigid and very mm -hmm. over-controlled about it. I didn't like new novelty, I don't yeah. think, in yeah. my food. And so I, yeah. I, I learned to, you know, try new things and I'm, I'm a different, you mm -hmm. know, I eat, eat more variety now, but man, 25 years. I was, my parents mm -hmm. had a battle. With me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I was just thinking about how maybe, um, but then I was, my body was, there was never any yeah. health concerns. I mean, right. I never mm -hmm. had any right. um, concerns that would be connected to mm -hmm. that diet. And I yeah. I haven't yet yeah. that I know of. Yeah. That, I that's love never that been, though, because I so think I just, so yeah. much, ex like there's so much heightened anxiety <laughs> about needing to eat the right way in order to have even as parents to mm -hmm. feed the kids the right way and then um, as young adults to try to figure out the right way to feed oneself and just to hear that. There's so many people that eat that way in mm -hmm. yeah. young, yeah, in youth and yeah. just those that familiar food thing. So I, I love mm -hmm. that because, yeah, you got the macronutrients that you needed and most of the mi micronutrients that you needed also, uh, you weren't missing. 
I mean, I must even, have. Uh, mostly, I mean, I must yeah. have because yeah. I didn't ever have yeah. a big consequence in a yeah. in any known way. I would worry about my you, sport, though. Yeah. Would you say you were inadequately? Were you getting enough fuel? Do you think? I assume I was getting enough. All that swimming you were doing at that time? I was getting enough. <laughs> yeah, the swimming, I worry that maybe yeah. I could have, my performance been better was, at swimming. there's a consequence in my performance. Uh-huh. Maybe, and I've always wondered that. Because uh-huh. um, when, when we've talked to high school, when we went, I remember we went and yeah. spoke to the Roosevelt um, distance running team. It's a high school, local uh, high school. Yeah, high school. Um, distance uh, cross country running team uh, that we had shown kind of a sample plates of what more adequate eating would look like. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, the, the girls were just like aghast. They couldn't believe how much food it was and they weren't intentionally not eating enough. They right. just didn't know. Yeah. It's so yeah. interesting. I so, think I, mean, I was probably eating adequately and attuned to the adequacy issue, but I wasn't attuned to probably maybe other yeah. cravings my body yeah. may have been having. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, ha- I don't think I had, and my mom and dad, you can attest to this. I think <laughs> fruits and vegetables, I don't think I ate until 25. Yeah. I mean, if I was forced, I would, <laughs> yeah. my mom would put um, sugar on bananas and I would sometimes eat those. Yeah. But, um, but never, you know, and so far, mm-hmm. I don't know of any health consequences. Sure. So was I healthy? Yeah. Would you consider me healthy yeah. then? <laughs> but back <laughs> when I was did 20? You, with your burger, did you have lettuce and tomato on your burger and then in your pizza sauce? Probably took it off. <laughs> your pizza yeah. sauce Deep has scowl. tomato. Tomato. Right? No. Pe- the pizza pizza, oh, pizza some, has all of the... Yes, I have yeah, that. Pizza's a very balanced. Yes. It's very balanced. I did get that. Yeah. Macaroni. Yeah. I mean, I think back to Kara's question around with the, with Lexi <clears> as an example. <laughs> Our case study. Our case study here. Um, this is new. I have never heard Lexi say all this. So I'm like, great. I can like interact with yeah. live live here yeah. um is that okay so what 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 would be the signs of if you weren't feeding yourself well enough and i think that's the thing maybe there's the nuances of sport performance but in general like sleep and you know your ability to socially interact and and ha- like growth right Glo- growth patterns is a pretty mm-hmm. key thing yeah. to look for if somebody is getting well nourished enough i've um, thought about that you know yeah. could i have been taller <laughs> Lexi, Lexi she's tall. 5'11". Yes. <laughs> I was, I think, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, when yeah. I was a ninth grader. Okay. So sure. Maybe. I think Maybe I was growing out of grade. I could have been a 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, I would like, I could look at your childhood growth grids and see <laughs> okay. if you were following the trend. And if there was a, if there was a little pause there, we could look at that. Um, but I think the... The hope is that you were listening to your body, that there was nothing that got in the way of you being able to listen to those cues to then get the food that you needed, right? And that's, I think, when I think of the girls at this local high school, I just think that the food culture and the health culture has changed. And we're in Seattle, Washington versus rural Kansas. So (laughs) I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) So the, the confusion around what is healthy at rural Kansas, back when you were young, there was yes. probably one message and there was probably not a lot of pressure around that. I mean, maybe you got some pushback about this isn't that healthy, but then would you be outed from communities or be looked upon by your friends' parents all the time negatively? I, no. I think here, there wasn't as much morality you know, around no, it in the, no. in the 70s, 80s no. in Kansas. Yeah. yeah. So in, this, in yeah. the current age in mm-hmm. Seattle, there's yeah. a ton of that. So I just think those girls, or boys too, right? They were bo- you know, both. I mean, Looking yeah. at those um, plates of food and seeing what is needed is there's a I, I I think that some of the things is not being able like people are disconnected from mm-hmm. their appetite cues and what works. Yes, and Kara. interestingly, <laughs> the case study from Roosevelt. Then we go to two years later. 
Yes. And adequacy was not, we brought the same kind of plates of foods Mm -hmm. and had a whole different response Mm -hmm. with 120 athletes. Mm -hmm. And this time the the adequacy was there. They weren't shocked. That looked like kind of normal plates of foods for them. But then all the questions around supplementation. Mm. So it's interesting. Like, I mean, I know this is not. Supplementation meaning what? Taking supplements that oh, they all they oh, had like probably ten pills. questions okay. about taking supplements Smoothies, and the, if they needed powders. the supplements to get the the all the okay. nutrition they needed um, for sport performance mm. that they weren't trusting food gave mm. them and this I, that I have the like an awesome study that came out of kind of like sideways out of this research um, researcher in Montana that was studying firefighters and I love this mm-hmm. so he was pretty adamant against around of the a lot of the food products that are out there that are supposed to be promoting health and helping us have easier access to the nutrients that give health. Okay. Um, and he was like, oh, I just, I think people are spending too much money on that. Um, and he also was wanting to see how much fuel do firefighters need. So he was looking mm-hmm. at this very high intensity uh, population. Uh, they're very equal to endurance athletes and things like that in terms of what their body needs and how much they're pushing it to their limits. And they um, fed a group a lot of more of the, I would say, more scientifically engineered foods. <laughs> so some of more of the supplemental world, but nutrition bars and smoothies and mm-hmm. protein shakes and things like that. And, uh, you know, among some other food too. But then the other group were ate McDonald's entirely. And they found that the people that ate McDonald's entirely were the ones that actually had more of the sustained energy and had more ability to kind of stay with um, their. So there you go. That's where those hamburgers fit in, Lexi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I love that study because I think it just really names the. the, There's there's a lot of there was actually satisfaction talked about too um, by the participants and. I've always talked about that, like a nutrition mm. bar in comparison to peanut butter sandwich. I mean, a peanut butter sandwich is way more enjoyable than some nutrition bar that's packed into like four inches. Right. Um, so. Going in and, and a funny, another little funny anecdote. My grandpa lived to 96 and he, I don't think he ever did vegetables. <laughs> and he was bred all the way. He had so much toast. And he mm-hmm. lived to 96 and just died of old age and was like one of the There's healthiest, still, yeah, there is, quote, yeah. healthiest. Yes. <laughs> There's still so much question, actually. I mean, as much as we can kind of come out with new things of like add in acacia berry or do avocado or have kale, like there's still there's still actually at the micronutrient level. It's like well, we if, if it was just nutrients, we would just take vitamins and be OK. Right. But there's like mm-hmm. other components to food and then. Maybe there's other components to eating, right? And the experience of eating and the whole interaction with that that then allows for us to actually be well. And so. Yeah. Mm. That feels like a really interesting category to me because I think that it's always been more satisfying to me if there's a food that I feel like I have some sort of relationship with. Yeah. Or some story with or reminds me of so-and-so or Mm -hmm. I tried it and cooked it with this person at some point. Mm -hmm. Um. And I don't ever, I mean, yeah, a peanut butter sandwich that you make yourself or someone else makes you or whatever is just like so much more interesting, even if you've had it all the time, than a cliff bar to me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, but yeah. The yeah, stories what is satiating. Right. Mm-hmm. In, in both taste and experience yeah. and yeah. Right. broader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, yeah, it comes to sort of that mind, body, spirit definition of health versus absence of disease health. So that's oh, like definition that. of from the Webster Dictionary, right? It's absence of disease. But I want more than that for health. 
It's not just absence of disease. I don't feel like people actually treat mm. that word that way, though, mm. right? Because mm. we would all, well, I think we'd stop talking about it, really. Like, it, culturally, if it was just absence, absence of disease, because yeah. people it's are not obsessed with maximizing health. Right, right. And obsessed with right. trying to figure right. out all these tiny yeah. little things that they can change, change so that they're like, I know. I, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like, reach nirvana. They, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what is the goal? Right. To live longer? Yeah. Is that the reason we're all so concerned about health? Great question. That is yeah. a great question. Yeah. I think that one thing that comes to mind is aesthetics. People are actually, that's a big part of why people are obsessed with that. Mm. Not just aesthetics because in people. terms of weight, but also like glowing skin. <laughs> Such an <laughs> aesthetic. Vibrant. That's true. Okay. Yeah, looking vibrant if and your is... hair is healthy and all these mm-hmm. things that are probably somewhere in our biology to want to be attractive or something as well, or some desire toward that, mm-hmm. or just vanity. Um, it could be, um, gosh, I don't even know. I yeah. lost my thought. I mean, the risk of, yeah, I was I was thinking more, if it is risk of premature death, right? Like yeah. living longer life. Mm-hmm. But being able to live life to the fullest is the thing I would say is like being able right. to ski into their seventies. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's I, the thing that I, I can mountaintop experiences I might, with that. What'd you say? Like for the, for in, in my age now, I'm starting yeah. to connect with health yeah. for totally different reasons yeah. than our I maybe kids. would have thought about it. Wanna you know, I think I want to be around for yep. this event mm-hmm. and I yep. want to feel a certain, I want to be able to move around still yep. and mm-hmm. like my motivation to do. Yeah. Um, to do health behaviors, things that feel like yeah. they're life promoting are different than maybe they would have been in the past. I'm very yeah. concerned about that yeah. now. Like yeah. avoiding limitations, like minimizing as many limitations. I don't want to be alive and be severely limited in yes. some way or not get to do. experience something, My, some bucket list idea totally. or experience, you know. My dad, who loves to travel, um, <clears throat> he always says that he is still trying to work on his health because he wants to be able to lift a suitcase in an overhead compartment when he travels. <laughs> that, like, that's his goal. Like, yeah, yeah, he's like, Very I want to be the guy that's function. on the plane that can, like, do mm-hmm. that on his own still and mm-hmm. can, like, go somewhere and feel self-sufficient in that way. And, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of totally. like how specific mm-hmm. it is for him. Yeah. I have and a that. specific one. I continue to strengthen my muscles because I want to be in The Amazing Race. Ooh, okay. let's get you in Kara, there. bring in the amazing race. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> difference between amazing race and being able to like, carry a my, suitcase. Uh, my really strong hope thing. I can get on yes. that show. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah, it's we worth plug it. it. For the one in a million <laughs> chance that I can get on. It's one in a million? Oh, you know, I mean, there's I tons of people applying. But you could do it. Yeah. I mean, well, and so when I, you don't, when you, like with my foot issue yeah. that I'm having, when you have health taken away in some yeah. way, how all of a sudden becomes this precious i mean i've been in a yeah. privileged experience with yeah. health yeah um until just recently mm-hmm. so now all mm-hmm. of a sudden i'm whoa there's a whole nother world yeah. here mm-hmm. it's for real yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well and i you know I, I feel like i'm drawn to thinking about what are the other things that impact health because we've talked a lot about food mm-hmm. right um and in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways i like to talk about health i i want to move people away from the conversation around weight being a predictor mm-hmm. of health, mm-hmm. but also diet and exercise being the most important lifestyle habits and most important factors in one's health. Right. Um, so, Do you want to talk feel more about, about weight or no? We can. I mean, I, th- I think for me, just naming even when you say that like you've been in this privileged position, I just think of, okay, there are so many um, factors that impact one's ability to even access health. 
right? Mm-hmm. So when I think of social determinants of health being such this broad things that we can talk about food, sure, as being something that impact health, but so does education and so does sort of proximity in a community or like kind of the environment somebody is in or economic stability or instability, right? Um, mm-hmm. Socioeconomic status. Um, and then just some of the complexities around the healthcare system and access in that way too and how one would be treated based on race, size, um, age. Yeah. So those other determinants. From genetics, right? The, this would go back to yeah. the Yep. Oh, that's social determinants. So well, I guess that's, that's not. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess I'm but saying the things more we social can control and not control. Right. Again, going back to that too. Right. It, it is. Yeah. Genetics do fit into the categories and that we can't control. But mm-hmm. that's one of the things with the social determinants of health that is these big system wide things that impact all of us. And so some people do come to maybe a conversation like this thinking, wow, I have so many things stacked against me to be able to allow for myself to access health. And that's where then the definition of what is healthy for each individual person, to me, feels like it has to be more varied than um, the lack of, you know, absence of disease or or even um, I think within the medical literature, you know, you're going to be looking at cardiometabolic health. So looking at... um, certain lab values within one's blood markers that they're getting, you know, around their blood pressure or their lipid profile or their insulin resistance or things like that, that really for a lot of people, I think that's what a lot of people are going for um, when they're talking about health is they want an absence of those things (laughs) being out of whack. Uh, So, but does everybody have the right to that? Or is that something that some, yeah, some other factors, these social determinants of health that just like set some, people up to yeah. kind of be in a category that they may not actually um, have. Yeah. I think evolutionarily, I'm thinking about this, like we might want to be outpacing each other mm-hmm. in a way, like this idea mm-hmm. of wanting to survive longest and okay. our obsession mm-hmm. with that. And when you're talking about that, and I'm imagining people all having this varied genetics, varied lives, varied access, et cetera, um, some of that, the access issue for sure feels like something that we should actually think and talk about and and help people get more access. But otherwise, I wonder, too, if the definition can shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like we we do want to live a while. Most mm-hmm. people do. Most people do. Most people do. Not everybody does. Yep. Um, but assuming that that's the main goal or assuming that that's supposed to look a certain way or that you're not supposed to die <laughs> feels like it's sort of – I mean, we're, we are yeah. – right? Yeah. We're going to and we're not invincible. Right. So I think that there's sort of an, of an obsession with mm-hmm. the idea that we could figure out the right recipe, yeah. um, no pun intended, to <laughs> to figure out like how we can fig- mm-hmm. could live the longest, mm-hmm. be yeah. the best. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that too, about maybe our obsession with death is an expression of death. Ang- or I mean, our expression, our obsession with health mm-hmm. is an no. expression of death anxiety. Totally. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. And that we might be more susceptible to one disease over the other because of our genetics, right? Yeah. And right. that could be really painful and horrible mm-hmm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. To just come to. And, yeah. Are yeah. we also not addressing the issue of we can't fix it all, mm-hmm. too? Yeah, the things we don't have control yeah, over. Exactly. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have – I feel like you're so right. We've – focus mostly on food. We've talked mm-hmm. about exercise. We haven't talked about weight a ton. Yeah. Um, 
But I also feel curious, too, around, like, the impact of stress, trauma on the body, and mm. those things actually impacting your health and sure. relationships that are chaotic and how that yeah. impacts your stress and impacts your health and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's complex. Yeah. <laughs> it's really complex. It is. Yeah. But I do think that um, – oh, were you going to say something? I do think that probably most people that have heard us talking about food already might be wondering, well, but what about the weight? Yeah. I think that yeah. that does feel important mm-hmm. to to talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I think the mainstream belief is that in a conversation around health, that having somebody aim towards being in a smaller size body or according to the BMI fit into the normal weight category uh, on the BMI would be something that would prevent somebody from having more illness or disease and so therefore be a healthier, quote unquote, healthier person. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is certainly a mainstream belief. So we, I, I, I have, I push back on that in my work with my clients and then also just broadly in conversation and trying to get the message out there. And I have, there's, oh, what would you I give us, go, give us some, give us some, <laughs> give us some <laughs> bullets about where a few yes. that we won't be able to get to okay. more extensively, but yeah. how about a few of yeah. things? I think the, the, one of the main messages that is important to have, I think be across when we think about health and then bringing in weight in the conversation around health is that. Um, the BMI is being misused a lot. And recently, actually in 2016, in the International Journal of Obesity, there was a uh, study that was a a compilation study uh, that showed that there was misclassification of cardiometabolic health when using the BMI. So what does that mean? It it showed that, okay, if we take this belief that somebody that is in the normal weight category is going to be healthier than the people that are in an overweight or obese category, we are going to misclassify millions of people. So they took NHANES data from 2005 to 2012, and they analyzed that data, and they found that if you just universally said people in normal category are healthy and the people that are in the obese category are unhealthy, that there were 74 million U.S. adults that were misclassified, right? So were put into the wrong category. So people in the normal weight category that were actually cardiometabolically unhealthy, I think it was 40% that should have been in the unhealthy category mm. or something. I shouldn't start with the stats because I'm bad with that when it comes to numbers. <laughs> um, but then, and then the people, many people also a high percentage that were in the obese category actually were metabolically healthy, cardiometabolically healthy. So I just think we have to challenge our assumptions and move beyond the basic belief that we can look across the room and decide that that person, if they have a larger size body or a smaller size body fit in some sort of health category. And I think it's, when we it it it's it's easy for us i think we hear a lot a lot of research that does back it up that oh well but wait weight loss does lead to improve in health right and i i don't want to disagree with all the research on that either because mm-hmm. the reality is that we can find thousands of research studies that do back up the fact that when somebody loses weight there is an improvement in health and i uh, but one of often. the things when often Often, yeah. but those studies don't acknowledge, um, and they don't they don't factor in. What about fitness? What about activity? What about nutrient intake? What about weight cycling and the impact of that, or other social determinants of health like socioeconomic status? So they're not going to factor in those things, and they're also very short term. So you look at these thousands of studies, and then you would go, oh, okay, so this person improved in, they they lost weight and they had some sort of improvement in health. 
Um, but then if you were to follow that person over the course of their lifetime, that person is more likely to be somebody that's a chronic dieter or have a weight cycling pattern. And there's more and more research. Um, and, and people that diet end up being in larger size bodies. And then the most current research is about coming out around so much about health impact of size discrimination and weight stigma on people. So then you've got this all of these unintended consequences of the well-intended um, effort to help that person back in that study, right? To then say, well, we're, we're trying to help this person be well. Yeah. Um, but then there's all of the cascading um, imp negative impacts uh, when we focus on weight. Mm -hmm. And just to take it to a, a personal story, um, back when I had my eating disorder in college and I, when I went to go see my doctor, I had lost my period. I'd become mm -hmm. a menorrheic. Um, and I, you know, I had a long-term relationship with my OBGYN and, you know, she was very, because I'm in a thin body and because I was so active as a, as a distance runner, she just normalized the loss of my period and said, you're really, mm -hmm. she told me I was really healthy. Wow. Um, and of course I didn't want to out myself that I wasn't eating enough, <laughs> but the fact that, that mm -hmm. I lost my period, it got normalized from a doctor I trusted. And, you know, I, I think she's very well-meaning and well-intentioned, but there's, it's an example of how, um, just be, by being in a thin body, a lot of my health, my health concerns could be overlooked. And now I'm much more of an advocate when I go into the doctor, cause I don't want the bias of looking at my body and seeing that it's, it's in the, the normal range and then mm -hmm. not having anything looked at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You do have to advocate, but in, in all these different categories, everybody mm -hmm. usually has to advocate. Right. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot can be projected onto a body, large or small, around those things that right. mm -hmm. can start, can be confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet we give so much trust. It's interesting. I yeah. mean, they're, not to bash doctors, but just the trust we give in doctors, right? As yeah. experts and, yeah. and people that we can lean into to give us the right advice and mm -hmm. recommendations. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the recommendation usually is sound. I think that the follow-up or the markers of improvement is when, if it's centered on on weight as the marker of improvement of somebody's health, that's where we can go awry. Because sure, there's, um, to for a medical provider to give advice around something, around maybe some of these, um, you mentioned, Carter, relationships or stress level um, right. or diet or exercise, like maybe they're going to give some sound advice or thoughts on that. Um, and if the person is looking for weight loss as a result of it, as the marker of their health improvement, that's where it gets really um, concerning. So, yeah, that's that's where I, I think it's well-meaning, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I still think it's really well-meaning. And I, I find myself still, when I interact with providers about this topic, there's a lot of resistance because they're like, and what next, right? Well, what then? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel for a lot of the systems that we're up against because if Providers only have, you know, eight minutes to be with a particular um, patient. What's the intervention that's most important? Um, and that's, I, I, I think that the short, quick to the moment, like message around nutrition and exercise is, isn't the most important quick message because right. I think that's one of those. I, I've, yeah, it's kind of well. Wouldn't the patient look back and go, "I've been told that a million times," and. I'm coming here to get the next level of help. Like I, yeah. I have tried that or I am doing that, you know, perhaps too, right? I am doing that, but they're still maybe not getting the next level of support, possibly based on some weight bias if they're coming in a larger size body. Um, 
that's mm-hmm. concerning, right? Yeah. And some of that might mean, you know, at least around relationship to food or to exercise could mean helping people understand this sort of psychological component of there's not a prescription that you just need to lose this weight or do this exercise and it's going to be great after that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe you would enjoy, maybe your body would enjoy some more movement, but then does your body start, I mean, are you start, start tongue tied? Do you start becoming compulsive about that? Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Mm -hmm. Or do you start really seeking out healthy foods, quote unquote healthy foods, and then you're obsessive and rigid about that, right? So again, what are these psychological components, relational components that need to be factored in in a long-term way so that all of that can be well integrated into Mm -hmm. someone's life so they're not just focused on one aspect of of their health if it's something, something in that category? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, in the nature of kind of sending some people that have been mm-hmm. listening off with some good questions yeah. to be asking themselves, I think we've certainly posed some today um, just in conversation. But Julie, did you have a couple, too, that you you feel like would be good things for people yeah. to ponder? Yeah. I, I think one of them is just that maybe you've heard you as a listener have maybe heard uh, something that's been in conflict with an assumption you came in about what you believe about health or how you have always thought about health. And I think that for, at least for my journey, and I think for all of us in this room, that's been part of our thing of like, oh, running into something that runs into a, a belief that then, wait, that's an assumption? That's not based on something that's real? And I would just encourage you, if that's true for you, um, that that you would take a pause and actually maybe think through a timeline of wh- where did you learn that? belief and what have you done with it? Sort of how have you followed through with that belief and all the different places you've learned about it and been reinforced if it's people or different educational environments uh, and then decide what you decide about it. And I know we'll have probably a lot of resources and the um, notes for the show to be able to give possible follow-up reading Mm -hmm. on the topic too, if you want to look at, look deeper into some of those assumptions, but that would be, I think the timeline work is really great Asking, yeah. like asking yourself, where did you learn that first? Yeah. So I like that idea about the timeline. Um, and I would also want to add to this idea of moralization of health. I mm. think that we just kind of threw that in there at some point in here. But mm. is there some assumption that you have that is maybe based off of some kind of moralizing that's happening culturally or some yeah. sort of system, maybe even of oppression that that we're all kind of internalizing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And participating in. Yeah. Once you break that down. Yeah. Is there a way that you can find wisdom about about mm-hmm. some of your questions yeah. or some of these assumptions that that might get you more connected to your body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one, mm-hmm. I would have the other question, <laughs> I think, would just be that if there is something that maybe you have dismissed, kind of in what Carter's saying, like maybe you've dismissed that thing um, that you thought wasn't health promoting because something in the culture has said it wasn't. But for you, it really works. Like it really works for you to eat this one certain way or move your body this certain way or engage in communities in this way or whatever. It's just maybe that is health promoting for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And you've dismissed it maybe to try to connect to that and come back to that and maybe honor that as your own, um, an aspect of your own health and respect that. Your own food and body wisdom and Mm -hmm. your your own intuition there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and exploring the question of what is health with us. If you have any follow-up questions about today's episode or any others, or simply just want to reach out, send us an email at theappetite at opalfoodandbody.com. 
We would love to hear from you. Thank you to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites music, and to Sarah Taylor for production assistance and editing. You can learn more about Opal at opalfoodandbody.com and feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe and you'll easily find our next episode. Talk to you soon. Bye.